Him. And please do leave that reading open, Colossians chapter 2, as we continue to look through Colossians together. It's page 1016, if you're looking for it, in the church Bibles. And let me, uh, let me begin with uh, this verse right in the middle of our passage, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus, walk in him. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus, walk in him. Her name is Nancy, and uh, life has thrown profound obstacles uh, at Nancy over the years. Um, the sort of obstacles that should leave her completely dispirited and, uh, well, dysfunctional, to be honest, in life. But uh, the, the Nancy that I've known uh, is a lady who's continued to walk on with Jesus in the midst of all of that, and it's been glorious to watch. Uh, here was a life that had put roots so deep into her relationship with Jesus uh, that even though all sorts of things were going on for her physically and mentally, that any conversation with her, uh, it, it was impossible to leave that conversation without the treasures that are there in our relationship with Jesus overflowing from her life to yours. Uh, I thank God for her. Uh, his name is Ken, and he is, uh, to me, a walking, talking uh, embodiment of Colossians 3.16, one of the verses that we looked at last week. You remember it? Letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing songs. Well, that was his final years were filled with that. Um, the first uh, few years that I knew him, I remember visiting him in his home, and then he had to move to an aged care facility. This was in Sheffield. And uh, I knew that I was getting close to his room in the facility because you would hear singing coming from the room. And uh, that's how he spent most of the day, uh, singing old hymns that he knew from memory, from his youth, at full volume. And quite regularly, the staff would tell me that he was crazy, but he was the most sane person there, uh, walking on with Jesus roots deep in his relationship with Jesus, lungs hoarse uh, for uh, his praise of Jesus. Uh, I thank God for him. Uh, his name is Andrew. No, not me, but it's a great name. Um, and he's been a great encouragement to me over the years. Uh, his love for people is what strikes you when you meet with him. Uh, his infectious enthusiasm to share Jesus with those who don't know Jesus. It, it's almost impossible for him not to share Jesus with people. And every time I meet with him and I hear stories of his opportunities to do that, it stirs me in my own walk with Jesus, and it stirs me to want to share him with others. I thank God for him. Uh, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Uh, you've heard Nancy's story and Ken's and Andrew's. Let me ask about your story. When it comes to your relationship with Jesus, uh, here's my question. Are you walking on with him uh, or are you walking away from him? Uh, they're the two directions of travel, aren't they? Uh, I changed school uh, in year 10 of high school. And one of the first friends I made at the new school was a guy called Simon. Uh, and I remember him walking up to me in one of the first uh, lunch times that I was there, and he invited me along to the school crusader group. I'd been uh, a Christian for about a year or so by this stage, and, and in the early months uh, in this new school, he was a great encouragement to me uh, in my own walk with Jesus. Uh, he seemed so established, so secure in his faith, uh, so fruitful uh, as a Christian. And yet I also distinctly remember midway through year 11, the, the next year, so Simon was uh, being influenced by some stuff going on in his local church. And he, he started saying to us, you know what, there's so much more to the Christian life than just faith in Jesus. 
and he encouraged us to pursue that. He was one of the leaders of the crew group and he, he led the group in pursuing these, these more full things. But over that time, I watched Simon's faith get increasingly unsettled. My last memory of Simon at school was going on a, a school camping trip together and we were walking together at the end of a, a long day's hike, just cooling our feet in this sort of shallow river together. And I remember him walking just ahead of me and uh, he, he said to me, mate, I'm tired of faith. Uh, Christianity had become to him just an exhausting, hollow lie. Uh, I tried to encourage him that how much he'd encouraged me in my own uh, walk with Jesus, but he literally walked past me down the river, and as far as I know, he's still walking away from Jesus. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus, keep walking in him, says Paul. Uh, others walk away uh, from Jesus because uh, the full life is offered to them in this world. And uh, I can think of a number of my peers who seemed so sure in their faith in their teenage years, but the full life came. Uh, the promise and the success of uh, the academic life or relationship success or career success or material success, the full life opened up to them and they embraced it and they left Christ behind. Uh, still others walk away because they just grow tired of their battle with sin. And despite their efforts to make up for their sin or to cover it up with moralism or church attendance or religiosity, sin keeps crouching at the door and captivates them again and again. Uh, I remember one guy who struggled to remain faithful to God in one area of his life for a number of years, and he finally said to me, oh, mate, I'm tired of pretending. So then, says Paul, just as you receive Christ Jesus, keep walking in him. Uh, the danger of walking away from Christ is actually uh, undertaken uh, over a process of thousands upon thousands of unintended steps, often unnoticed steps. And it's easy to neglect for ourselves the, the Christian walk that we're on. In fact, we stop thinking of it as a walk. We just stand still. Yes, we know that um, if we're Christians, we've come to receive Christ Jesus as Lord. We perhaps even can point to the, the day and the time that, that we did that. But, but Christian, let me ask you this. However long you've been uh, a Christian, however long it's been since you received Christ Jesus, are you still walking with him? Uh, I simply want to use these verses of Colossians 2, 1 to 12 to help us see two things. And the first will be the focus how to keep walking with Jesus in a way that we can be assured and secure in that walk. And then more briefly, because we'll look at it more in coming weeks, what walking with him would look like. And so let's uh, look at each of these in turn. Firstly, how to walk with Christ Jesus. And well, here's the first part. If you're going to understand how to walk on with Christ Jesus, you need to understand what it means, verse 6, to receive Christ Jesus. Our walk with Jesus begins with a, a decision, a personal decision to repent and trust Jesus. Uh, I remember in my early years as a Christian, it was uh, explained to me this way in three words, sorry, thank you, please. Uh, that's the moment of receiving Christ Jesus. The, the moment we say sorry to God for living life as if we're in charge, as if I'm king, uh, I, I repent of that and I say, no, that's not reality. I, I say, sorry. And then the thank you. Thank you for making a way to uh, reconcile me. Thank you to, for making a way for us to be at peace again. And we saw that last week. Christ gave his own body to reconcile you. And then the final bit, and this is the bit that sometimes we skip. Please, please take over. You're the king, not me. You lead the way on. 
To receive Christ Jesus as Lord is to surrender and say, Jesus, you're the king. Now, it is, of course, possible to walk in Christian circles, even in church circles, and never actually receive Christ Jesus as Lord. And I want to say, if, if you have a sense of that being you, then don't miss this. You, you can't walk on with Jesus unless you first receive him as your Lord and say, you lead on. And so Colossians 2 here outlines for us the, the process of what it looks like to receive Christ Jesus as Lord. And here's the first bit. Have a look at verse 7. Receiving Christ Jesus, first and foremost, and this is simple but important, involves receiving the gospel as it's taught to us. Coming to faith in Jesus does change absolutely everything about our life over time. But the way that change starts is so simple. It starts with hearing the message about Jesus, understanding that message, and responding to it. In fact, if you look at verse 6 there, the word received, in terms of receiving Christ Jesus, it's actually a technical term for receiving the apostolic gospel about Jesus, receiving the message about Jesus. And you remember that that's what's happened to these Colossian Christians. Uh, Epaphras heard the gospel from Paul and he took it back to the Colossians and he taught it to them and they received it. Christian faith is never a matter of self-discovery. It involves receiving something that's faithfully passed on to us. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in another one of his letters, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For what I received, he's speaking about this message, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's what he passed on to others. And in due course, that message was written down for us in the New Testament. It was written so that we would receive this same apostolic gospel as we meet here this morning. And Colossians 2 verse 6 sums up what we've received in the gospel in uh, three words, Christ Jesus Lord. That's what we've received. We've received Jesus. That is the historical Jesus, not a fictitious character, but the, the real man, the, the, the what, the where, the when of his life, the details that are captured for us in the gospel. We've received him. And more than that, we've received him as the Christ all the way through the Old Testament, God's promise to send the Messiah, the, the one who would fulfill God's promise to restore this world. He is, that's who Jesus is. He's the Christ. And thirdly, to receive him as Lord, as King, as the one in charge of our lives. And when you receive that gospel, here's what's actually happening to you. Here's the second part of receiving Christ Jesus. Verse 9 and 10, you receive the very fullness of God into your life. You see how verse 9 describes it there? For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. It's wonderfully circular, isn't it? Uh, the God who dwelt on Mount Sinai, as, as we're shown in the Old Testament, who, who dwelt in the temple, who, who you couldn't get near, uh, the God who was King of kings and Lord of lords, who, who we're told dwells in unapproachable light. No one has seen him, and yet here we're told he came to dwell bodily amongst us. Again, this is important to be clear on. It's not that the concept of God in our world or deity uh, in this universe can be experienced as we sort of uh, encounter him in various spiritual movements. No. The gospel declares that the true and living God, all there is to the true and living God can be found in Jesus Christ. Nowhere else. 
but even more wonderfully, the whole fullness of God dwelt with us bodily, we're told. In other words, the living God is real. He's tangible. He's visible with us in body. And it was with this real body of flesh and blood that he died on the cross to bring us back into peace with God. When you receive Christ Jesus, you receive all the fullness of God deployed into your life to save you. That's what receiving Christ looks like. Uh, one third aspect, uh, third aspect of it, have a look at verse 11 and 12. Not just receiving the message of Jesus, not just through that message receiving the fullness of God into your life, but verse 11 and 12, receiving through this completely new life. Realise the extraordinary difference Jesus makes to your life. Have a look at verse 11. He's changed your identity completely. You are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Now, these verses 11 and 12 and onwards are, are complex verses, and we're going to come back to them next week. But, but see this for now. Uh, see the change that's happened when you receive Christ Jesus. It means you were circumcised. Now, what's Paul getting at when he, when he speaks about that? Well, here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to help us see the violent consequences that come into your life when you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord. Your old identity has been utterly ripped away from you. Our, our culture likes to talk about identity a lot. Well, here's true identity. You, uh, this, this picture of circumcision is a metaphor, and he'll use the same one about baptism in verse 12 to speak of death of the old. Uh, when human hands perform a circumcision, it's a very small operation, and I won't go into details right now. But when Christ circumcises your life, it, the procedure is far more comprehensive. Uh, listen to another translation of verse 11, and you'll get the picture. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of your whole body of sinful flesh. You see, when you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, by his death, he circumcises you. He removes your old identity, this sinful identity that we have before God, and it's wholly removed from us, and, and it has to be. I mean, how else was uh, chapter 1, verse 22 going to happen? How else were we going to stand before the living God who is holy and is judge? And do you see what it says in 1, verse 22? Stand there holy and without blemish and free from accusation before him. That's not in me. It's only by removing my sinful nature and replacing it with Jesus' full and holy and righteous nature that that's possible. In fact, uh, the metaphor will go further in chapter 3, verse 3. He'll say, your life is now hidden in Christ. You've got a whole new skin. How do you walk on with Jesus? By receiving him as Lord receiving this gospel, receiving the fullness of God into your life, receiving this new identity. Here's the second step. Have a look at verses 4 and 8. We keep walking with Jesus by looking out for lies. You see that in those verses, 4 and 8? Now, as I say that, it does raise concern that sometimes leveled at Christians who, who call out lies about Jesus, especially lies within the church. Why can't we just be unified and sort of focus on the positives and ignore those things? And yes, it is possible to be too anxious to spot every slight error along the way. But it should strike us that twice in this short passage, uh, Paul warns of dangers of lies about Jesus. Why repeat the warning? 
it, it strikes me a bit like a, a parent, and I, I'm experiencing this at the moment, parent of young drivers. We've got two teenage drivers in the house at the moment, and there's a process that happens every time they go out the door with my car and my keys, um, where I will say this phrase to them, please drive carefully. Now the obligatory response comes, oh yeah, of course, Dad. <laughs> but I will keep saying that. I will keep saying that, partly just to make me feel a bit better about the whole thing, but also because I know there's dangers. I know the dangers. I want to keep warning them to be aware of them. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's aware of the dangers that can come for Christians. Uh, he's seen them in other churches. And so he says, as you walk on with Jesus, watch out. In fact, you see there, verse 8, that the picture is quite vivid. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. And the Greek word take captive is, is a brilliant word. It's the picture of imagine yourself walking along a path and someone comes and grabs you, bodily grabs you and kidnaps you. That's the picture there. You're walking along and then whoop. Paul writes to these new Christians because he's well aware of the dangers that they might face because he knows the climate of his time. And we too live in a climate with dangers that Satan may use to take us captive and lead us away from Christ. Satan will use, we're told here, fine-sounding ideas to sell us a big, impressive pile of lies that we might believe them and walk away from Christ. And when Paul talks about philosophy here in verse 8, he, he's really giving an es estimation of any worldview that doesn't have Christ at its centre and at its heart and at its head. No matter how strong and substantial it may look, without him it is empty lies. Lies depending on what for their meaning, do you see it there? The basic principles of this material world. Basing your life on created things rather than the creator. Any approach to life that fails to grasp Christ's significance is an empty lie that will lead us away from him. And so brothers and sisters in Christ walking with Jesus see the real danger. See the persuasive lies that could take us captive. For Simon, my friend in school, it was a lie that said spiritual fullness is found beyond Christ. For others, it's a lie that says I can deal with my battle of sin alone. I can uh, make up for it in my moralism or my church attendance or my religiosity. Uh, a hollow lie that just leaves us exhausted. Or a lie that says fullness is found elsewhere in the basic principles of this world, in what I can touch and taste and cultivate or renovate or recreate or accumulate. That, that's full life. No, it's a lie that leaves me more captivated by creation than the creator. Step two of walking on with Christ Jesus is, well, don't buy the lie. A third and final step, and more briefly, but look with me at uh, chapter 1, verse 28. How do we counter the lie? by proclaiming Christ to each other. Uh, the old quote that's sometimes attributed to George Orwell, but I don't think it's him, is this. In times of universal deceit, telling the truth is a, is a revolutionary act. And that's what we're meant to do for one another. The best way to counter the lies is to keep proclaiming Jesus to one another's hearts. Uh, to, do you see there, chapter 2, verse 1, to keep struggling to that end. And remember, it's a, it's a shared struggle. Uh, Colossians 3.16 tells us we're, we're meant to proclaim him in all we do, in the songs that we've been singing this morning. And anyone who thinks that they can walk on with Christ Jesus without gathering regularly with his people, and without other people speaking into their hearts the news of Christ Jesus, is a person taking a knife to a gunfight in this world. We need each other for this. Uh, 
This is our shared project as a church. Do you see it there? 1 verse 28, we proclaim him to one another, admonishing and teaching one another with all wisdom so that we might present one another mature in Christ. Now, we'll see more of this next week, but as we close, uh, let me ask you this. Do you know what it would look like if we kept doing that for one another, kept proclaiming Christ to one another as we walked? Well, have a look at verse 7 and, and you'll see it there. What we would start to see in the lives of those around us is the miracle of men and women who are walking with Jesus towards their hope in heaven with Jesus and they'll walk safe and secure with him. And what's remarkable about their walk is, uh, and this is a sort of classic Paul mixed metaphor, they're walking, but as they walk, there's a root system growing under their feet. Uh, their root system is no longer in the hollow and deceptive soil of this world. Instead, it's into their relationship with Christ Jesus. Would you pray that for each other? That we would walk with him with our roots digging deeper into him, growing together in him, bearing fruit in him in every part of our lives. What a sight that would be. Would you pray that for one another? Uh, chapters 3 and 4, as we get to them in the coming weeks, are going to show us all sorts of snapshots of uh, what that will look like. And what's brilliant about it is that it impacts the details of normal life. Uh, we'll see how that fruit can be seen in our workplaces and in our marriages, in our sexuality, in our speech, in our pride, our anger. You name it, it, it impacts everything, this root system. And I can't wait to see those snapshots together. It's a, 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 Every angle is brilliant. Every aspect of how he changes our lives is brilliant. It reminds me of um, uh, the end of last year, and I've got to stop doing this, but at the end of last year, Finn and I took a, a trip to the US together. And on one particular day, we, we drove a long drive and we got to the Grand Canyon just before sunset, which was amazing. Uh, that's another story. But um, uh, And we got to the main spot. Here's the main spot. And we, we took the obligatory photos with the 10,000 other people who were taking them. And then we had to hightail it to where we were going to be staying that night. And so we started driving around the, the south rim of the Grand Canyon. The plan was just to head straight to this place we were staying. But instead of that, what ended up happening is about every 200, 300 metres, we stopped the car because you saw another angle of the Grand Canyon and the sun setting over it. And so we took all these photos, which I'm happy to show you later uh, if you want. <laughs> And I want to say to you, that's how it is with our walk with Jesus. Every aspect of how he changes us is spectacular when the sun is imprinted upon your life in that way. And I hope you enjoy seeing that in one another's lives. Here's a challenge for you. If you're part of a small group, and if you're not, I do encourage you to be in one. If you're part of a small group, maybe share with someone in your group how you've seen them growing in Christ recently. Uh, we don't have time for the full slideshow now, but I want to leave you just before we pray together with a couple of snapshots from our passage, things to look for in each other's lives. Have a look at verse 2. We'll finish with this. The snapshot number one is this. Ordinary lives of ordinary people with this extraordinary sight in them. Encouraged hearts. Now, encouraged is one of the uh, most overused words in the Christian dictionary, uh, and it loses all its power. Do you know what's underneath that word encouraged? Two things, comfort and courage. Imagine seeing in the hearts of one another comfort and courage. The comfort of knowing as we walk that uh, even in the midst of trials, the king will walk with us. The courage to know that as we walk, he promises to lead that walk for us. Would you look for that comfort and courage in each other? Here's another picture from verse 2 again. 
in the ordinary lives of ordinary people, this extraordinary sight. Lives united, or we're told they're uh, literally, it means knitted together by the love the king has for us, bound together by that love. And what a, what a beautiful protest this church would be against, uh, I think, the radical individualism of our times, which only produces the fruit of fear and loneliness and mistrust and selfishness, to become a gospel people together as our roots grow into Jesus, where we learn to be curved out towards others, not in. Where we learn to be committed to carrying each other's burdens rather than exalting ourselves. And one final snapshot, like someone coming back from a holiday, I can't resist, here it is, verse seven. In ordinary lives of ordinary people, this extraordinary sight, lives not marked by grumbling and entitlement, but lives that are in Christ and are just so very thankful. You see it there, verse seven, overflowing with thankfulness. Because here with Christ, we've realized that there's no more searching for fullness. I found it in him. And here with him, there's no more trying to deal with my own failure on my own. He's covered it all. Lives that grow more and more the impulse to look to heaven and to the king of heaven with one word on our lips. Thanks. Well, let's pray. Just as the band comes up and we get ready to sing our last song, let me pray what we've read together in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. So then, just as we have received Christ Jesus as Lord, Lord, help us to continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as we were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. We ask this for our good and for your glory. Amen. We'll stand together.